Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Life Boost here. My name is Ryan Barrio, and I'm available to hear on over 35 podcasting channels and 10 social media platforms. Today, I'm speaking with a national speaker, an individual that has been making a difference in North America for first responders. He is a dedicated advocate for awareness, prevention, education, and training for post-traumatic stress injuries and first responder suicide prevention. This man continues to speak at law enforcement agencies all over the United States about the serious issues of mental health for first responders. He is truly in his element of helping others. This man began his career in the United States Air Force as a security forces officer in 1998. As a security forces officer, he specialized in law enforcement, global force protection, anti-terrorism, nuclear security, and air-based ground defense. This man has been through it all. He served in a variety of assignments, including flight leader, flight commander, and chief of security forces. He then became a commander and has served all over the United States, Europe, Middle East, and South America. He honorably separated from the Air Force as a captain in 2004. Immediately after the Air Force, Michael was hired by the Walnut Creek Police Department, where he served in a variety of assignments, including patrol officer, field training officer, SIU detective, undercover, narcotic task force agent, patrol sergeant, and public information officer, has done several different parts of the units throughout the police force. So he hasn't just been a police constable itself, but he has been in multiple divisions and multiple areas. And he was awarded the Walnut Creek PD Distinguished Service Medal in 2014 for his heroic actions during a fatal officer-involved shooting in 2012. He medically retired in 2018 and is now a peer volunteer at the West Coast Post Trauma Retreat, and he is truly an educated and inspirational man. Later this year, he'll be releasing a book called Relentless Courage, Winning the Battle Against Frontline Trauma by himself and Dr. Shauna Springer. He is an ambassador at Save a Warrior and is available on social media platforms, which will be in the description below. I would like to introduce you all to Michael Sugro. How are you doing, sir? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure to be able to research about what you've been doing throughout America and what you've been doing for first responders, creating that change, creating that background, and really trying to make sure that first responders are getting the help that they essentially need. And what was your life like before you joined the Air Force? What made you want to help people? What made you want to save other people? You know, it goes all the way back to childhood, and I owe it all to my stepfather, um, he's the one who raised me, but he had a career in law enforcement. I remember actually at the age of eight years old is when I first got that interest in being part of the law enforcement family. And that's when I started volunteering for a police agency here in Northern California. And that just kind of carried on to when I get to high school and I became a police explorer. And then in high school and college, I started studying criminal justice. And so as far back as I can remember, it's just something that I've always wanted to do. And I really consider it a calling. I feel like I was truly called to this profession and to help other people. It's very beautiful to see that you're going from the element of educating and now actually being a part of in the role of law enforcement. Did you see a different perspective when you first joined law enforcement? Because uh, like you said in prior interviews that the federal system is much different than how the local policing system is. Right. So was it a good transition for you to exit out of the military and kind of be able to do local policing and and help frontline um, communities? It was a great transition. Um, I really think that life experience is so valuable when it comes to law enforcement and really any first responders for that matter. And so, you know, it's great that I went to college and had a degree and whatnot. But 
what really helps is traveling, experience other cultures, you know, dealing with different types of people, seeing different things. I think that's what truly makes a difference. And I think that's so much more valuable than a basic education. And there are, you know, big differences between being in military law enforcement and civilian law enforcement. And even given that, you know, from when I started civilian law enforcement to now, the times have truly changed. And that goes into the perceptions of our law enforcement from the general public to the things that we see and the stigmas associated. And so even my own personal outlook on life and my own personal perspectives have really changed from when I first started to where I'm at now and I'm actually retired. Yeah, and it's good to be able to have that experience and gain that essential insight to figure out what you're doing to actually help people, right? In your life in the military, was there judgment to talk about your issues in the workplace? Was it always a place since the military and being in law enforcement, we've always had a persona of trying to be the tough individual, trying to hold in that information to try to reach out for resources to be successful. Did you have any issues with that when you were in the military or when you were in your career within law enforcement? You know, to speak to both, both the military and civilian law enforcement, you know, I never talked about my personal feelings. I didn't talk about my emotions. I didn't talk about my personal problems. Um, especially in the military, you know, I was in a leadership role from the very beginning. I was a lieutenant right out of college, and I was supervising over 60 airmen, I mean, literally on day one. And so I felt this immense pressure that, you know, I had to set the example, but not set the example in just a basic kind of human way, but as a warrior and show that, you know, I had no fear that I could do anything and almost this persona of being invincible or being like superhero like. And I think part of that's important. I think that starts with training also in the police academy on the civilian side. But I think the downside of that is we kind of lose our real human side. And that's who we are as people. And when it comes down to it, you know, these are jobs we're talking about. And we are individuals. And we come with certain baggage or we come with certain life experience. And all those things shape us to who we are today, right? But the sad part is I didn't really feel like I could be my true self. I always felt like I had to be something else. Like I had to put up this front and this image and I had to hold it to make it so pristine and so perfect. And I just couldn't make mistakes or make errors. And it just really takes away that, that human side of things. And I think that's really what we need to change in both the military and the first responder world as a whole. Yeah. And if we're able to change the dynamic, the situation, and actually try to create a more positive environment about raising awareness for mental health, I think that's going to be the essential cause to change, right? What would you recommend to first responders to do if they do need help? What would you recommend for outlets for them to be successful? Well, you know, first we have to change the culture. If we make this normal to talk about how things affect us, if we talk about our emotions and our feelings, and this happens on a daily basis as far as what we're exposed to. You know, the general public doesn't realize, but first responders are exposed to hundreds to potentially thousands of traumatic incidents throughout an entire career. And in some days, you could literally have two or three major traumatic incidents in one single day. And what we do is, the norm is we brush it off, we handle the call, we move on to the next call. We don't really stop and think about 
how is this affecting us? Like, you know, as an example, fatal car accident, you know, seeing a child death, these things are so traumatic to anybody. And, you know, again, we just go on like they're not affecting us. And so we need to make it normal after these traumatic incidents that we can just talk about it, talk about it openly and share it, whether that means peer to peer or peer or, you know, subordinate to supervisor. And so, you know, most agencies nowadays on the civilian law enforcement side, they have peer support programs. Um, they have EAP, which are employee assistance programs where you can see counselors outside of work. Um, you know, there are peer specialists that you can call up any day, you know, day or night and talk to them within your own agency. But again, the problem lies with trust. It lies with that stigma. They had all these things at the height of my trauma at my work, but I didn't feel comfortable talking to these people because I saw them every day. And again, I felt like I had this image that I had to uphold, especially when I was a supervisor. And I honestly didn't feel comfortable talking to anybody in my agency about these very personal things or my personal feelings. And so when I did, or I was asked to go to like a critical incident debrief after a major traumatic incident, I went, I showed up and I went through the boxes and I got it done, but I, I wasn't really expressing how this affected me as a person. And again, so if we don't change the stigma and we don't make it normal to talk about this, all these programs, they can look great on paper, but if people aren't really using them, then they're pointless, right? And so one of the things that I found most useful is peer support meetings outside of my agency. And they have these all over the US, um, all over the Bay Area where I live. They're hour long discussion meetings. They're open to all first responders, whether you're active or retired or off on injury. It's 100% confidential. And you go there and you meet people that you learn to trust. And you see them opening up, you see them sharing their experiences. And that's what allowed me to start getting comfortable in opening up and sharing. But the ironic thing was, I couldn't do this with my own people, my own agency, because I just didn't trust them. And I didn't feel comfortable doing it. Yeah. And when you're trying to get that trust and trying to get that connecting tissue to really understand that, hey, I do have a problem. I do need to get help, but I don't really trust the services and I don't know what's going on in my life to really make it more successful for me. Right. And people want to be able to know what type of treatment or what type of help they are receiving. Right. And bringing that awareness and sharing that and educating people about saying, hey, you know what, this is a symptom of PDSI, this is a symptom of anxiety, this is a symptom of saying, hey, you know what, maybe there's some inner demons that we need to focus on so that we can help you become more successful, right? Because like you've been seeing more and more every year, we're still seeing police suicides, we're still seeing first responders committing suicide due to the fact that PTSD has caused so much strain with everyone. And I really want to try to save lives and really make a difference and really try to understand that, you know, we really need to educate to stop this, to stop this cry, because it's just been causing so much terror. And it's been causing a lot of issues for myself, right? And what are some key symptoms to take time off work if you are a first responder? If you are in this position, what would you recommend saying, hey, okay, this is my limit. I need to focus on me. I need to focus on my mental health, just like what you did. You know, the first symptoms that I had looking back was 
isolation, um, depression, not wanting to go to social events, um, basically cutting off my family, not, not speaking with them, um, drinking more, you know, having constant nightmares, um, basically just, you know, hating life. I mean, literally numbing myself with negative coping mechanisms. You know, for me, it was alcohol, but for other people, a lot of first responders turn to drugs, whether it's illicit or prescription. They turn to gambling addiction, extramarital affairs, porn addiction, again, the alcohol. These are all the negative things that we do, which temporarily make us feel better, but they actually make us feel much worse in the long run. They do a lot of damage. And so, you know, I really implore the family members of first responders who are listening to this or watching this, you know, you know, your loved ones, you know, your family members better than anyone. And we see the change oftentimes, but we don't want to talk about it. We just chalk it off to they had a bad day, they're pissed off, they're in a bad mood. And we really need to take a step back and look at how has this person changed? You know, how has my spouse changed? How's my partner changed? They're not the same upbeat, happy person when I met and we got married before they started a career in law enforcement, you know, because this career does change us. It has a drastic effect on who we are and on our personalities. And so if you start noticing these things within yourself, that's a good sign. I mean, take note of that, but also listen to your family members, listen to your peers, listen to coworkers, the ones who truly care about when they're asking, how are you? you know, you don't, you don't look good. Like is something going on, you know, take that opportunity. If you really think there's that trust and they're trying to help you to talk about it because talking is healing. It seems so simple, but when you get this off your chest and you realize that you're not alone, and that's a key to a lot of this is that, you know, we're all suffering. We've all been through traumatic incidents. And so we're not alone. And I guarantee you, somebody watching this or listening to this, you're, what you're feeling, so many others have felt it. The key is, like you said, is asking for help. You know, what stopped me and stopped a lot of first responders is fear of their career. You know, the obvious is losing your career, right? Just a lot of people think, I don't want to ask for help. I don't want to identify myself as having issues or being weak. I'm ashamed. But there's also fear of like promotions or special assignments. You know, what are people going to think of me, especially if you're in a leadership position or a training position? You know, people are going to think I'm crazy. They're not going to they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to want to be around me. They're not going to have my back when I need them to in those dangerous situations on the streets. And so, again, we've got to change all this and just normalize it and just talk about it, talk about it and keep talking about it. And that like no one else could say it better than what you just said, right? Really bringing the awareness, really trying to understand and comprehend saying that it is a natural behavior to feel the way that this is because of the traumatic situations that are occurring in the in, in our day-to-day lifestyles, right? Not normal people um, go to fatal car accidents, fatal shootings, um, attending in a jail system, attending, uh, being a paramedic on a daily basis, seeing overdoses, right? A bunch of people are going through these traumatic incidences every single day, and they keep holding it in, holding it in, holding it in. But if you as a witness can really, really witness what's going on, really take that step in and say, hey, man, have that conversation with him and really 
just be real, be genuine and really try to figure out what the best answer is. And if you don't know what it is, it's okay if you don't know the answer, but maybe send him to a resource that can help him. Send him somewhere that can give him the advice that he needs. Because if there is something that we can do is that we have a phone filled with technology, filled with intelligence that we can easily look up ways as friends just saying, hey, come with me, man. Let's look it up together. Even if you don't even know what you're doing, take the two minutes to do that and really try to help people and make that difference. What is your opinion on things that you'd like to see in the future of law enforcement for mental health? You know, back when I was working, we would have maybe an annual training once a year where they brought in the peer specialists and we talked about the program, we went through it. But again, it was like a check the box program. And I really don't think that type of program is effective. I don't think it works. I think it's a waste of time. And what I wanna see is more engagement, more leadership, more examples. Um, you know, a perfect example that I can illustrate to you is that when you have people, whether they're sergeants, lieutenants, captains that are in key leadership positions within the agency, I want to see those people step up and share their personal experiences with trauma and how it affected their lives and how they overcame that or how they're still working on that. But I want those leaders to show that they are human. I want them to be real, especially when you're talking about brand new officers right out of the academy who are in the field training program. They're so young. They're so impressionable. And they're there to soak everything up. And they want to learn. And, you know, we teach them firearms and driver training. We teach them how to respond to calls, report writing. We don't teach them how to be human, how to talk about these things. And we've got to lead by example. And that's at all levels. Going back to the academy, you know, if you're an FTO like I was and you have trainees, instead of joking about things with gallows humor after a really bad call, just stop, debrief it spend maybe five minutes, 10 minutes in the car, one-on-one -on -one with that trainee and share your perspective first, open up, let them know it's okay. That's how we start that process. And then you carry that on as a patrol sergeant and line up every single day, you know, and so on and so on. And we have to do this at all levels and make it normal. That is the key is normalize all of this discussion really trying to adapt into the workplace and really trying to adapt that lifestyle into the key to make sure that people can get the help they need. I think you worded it very beautifully and you really gave that proper perspective on what law enforcement services and also what emergency services need to be successful is that consistent communication with their supervisor, that consistent communication with everyone to the point where it's more of an open talk and you are in a safe environment to do that. Take that five minutes to debrief about each situation to really understand what can I do next time better or what can I do to deal with this situation? How am I feeling in this situation? We, we always tend to forget to ask our coworkers, how are you actually feeling, right? And it's nice to take that two minutes, like you said, just as a partner, one-on-one -on -one, and just say, hey, I'm here for you if you need anything, but how are you feeling? Are you feeling pretty good? And that alone can make a huge impact in the workplace and really change on all levels, like you said, and it's, it's extremely beautiful. How can law enforcement show more awareness in the workplace, kind of breaking the stigma of asking for help? So we're in a position of always just, you know, we're in a, we're in a corner where 
we say that we have a problem, we're trying to get through the proper systems, and we're trying to do the proper channels, but that stigma is still breaking, right? So how can we prevent people from uh, getting the help that they need? We know again, and, and I talked about this earlier, but is by having these leaders open up, share their experiences, but also bring in other people, you know, at all levels, dispatchers, uh, community service officers, paramedics, firefighters, police officers, have people come in and talk about their experiences. You know, I'm just one example, what I do, but there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people out there who have dealt with this, they've overcome it, and they've come out well on the other side. And that's the key is that we don't realize that we don't see that. And we really need to make it to where it's it's normal, it's open. And, you know, that's the key. Yeah, that's what breaks the stigma. Exactly. And in your book coming up with relentless courage, winning the battle against frontline, what is that book entailing? What is it about? So first of all, I have to give credit to Dr. Shauna Springer, also known as Doc Springer. Phenomenal, phenomenal person. She's a well-known psychologist who has worked with combat veterans most of her career in the military and also with first responders. She's already written a couple books. Um, She's also a national speaker. Um, She is just a wealth of knowledge. And she hasn't just studied it, but she's lived it. And she's worked with these warriors for years and years. And so... We're working together on this project, and the structure of the book is there's going to be 14 chapters. Um, Each chapter is going to be broken into two sections, and the beginning of each chapter is going to be my story told in my voice, and it's going to go all the way back to my childhood to present day. And the second part of every chapter is going to be her insights, her reflections, her observations, but you know, with my specific example, but also in a general sense. And the key to this is, you know, there's going to be a strong example of what many first responders go through and why we choose this profession into what happens when we get out of the profession. But more importantly, Doc Springer is going to give insight to everybody, the general public, to loved ones, to family members, as to why these things happen, but also the effects. You know, one simple example that we haven't talked about is administrative betrayal. And that's a huge, huge, huge piece of the suicide epidemic and officers not asking for help. And knowing what the ramifications are of that administrative betrayal. And oftentimes how that ties back into our childhood. You know, because we don't choose these jobs by accident. We choose them for a reason. And a lot of first responders have some form whether it's very mild or very major of trauma. And that could be an emotionally distant parent on the minor side, all the way up to a physically abusive or sexually abusive family member, parent, you know, relative or an addict or an alcoholic. And so we learn at a young age how to adapt, how to overcome adversity and how to basically excel when others won't. And that's what makes us so successful as first responders. And so this book is really just going to wrap it all up and explain all of this. And I I truly believe, I'm a little biased, but I believe this book is going to be groundbreaking in so many ways. And it's going to help break that stigma. It's going to help educate people. 
And it's going to open up the eyes of the public because, you know, we need to let the public know that we're human. We need to let them know that we're just like them and we have the same problems. We have the same issues. And, and I really want people to see the human side of the badge. And that's what this book is all about. Very incredible. And where would we be able to purchase this book once it's released? Where would we be able to buy it? Well, it's going to be on Amazon eventually. Uh, right now, we are done with 12 of the chapters, and we have two more chapters to go. So we're, we're pretty close to finishing, but we're still a few months out. Um, once it's done, I will be posting information on pre-orders and sales on all my social media platforms. So there's definitely going to be updates on that. Um, but again, we're still a few months out, but almost there. So I'm super excited about it. No, it sounds super exciting to hear about your success, your stories, and really trying to learn more about PDSI and understanding ways to accept it. Ways, like you said in your last interviews, where you said that PDSI is like a sports injury. If you treat it like a sports injury, just like anything else, and you continuously work on that injury and you do the necessary things to prevent it from happening, it can be repairable, it can be fixable, and it can really make your lifestyle a lot better when you take control of your fear and you take control of the sacrifices that you've put yourself in for so many years, right? And it was really great to hear your perspectives and really trying to create new ones for people to understand that post-traumatic stress disorder or post-traumatic stress injuries can affect everyone. It doesn't have to just affect first responders, but it can affect everyone. And this is an issue where we need to break the stigma everywhere and really understanding that this is a global issue. And I'd love to say thank you for coming on to my show and really being able to share genuine knowledge with me and to really have a great conversation. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. And again, I, I thank you for having me on the show because the key to this is getting people just to listen, to take a few minutes to listen and realize that they aren't alone. And that's truly what I want is that if anybody's watching this or listening to this, know you're not alone. Know there are tons and tons of resources, and I can help you with that, but there's tons of programs, things that I never knew about back when I was working, but now that I'm doing the work that I am, now I'm becoming aware of all these programs, all these resources, and just know that it is an injury, you can get better, and in my case, my life is even better now than it was before, and I truly person than I was, I'm a better father. I'm a better brother. I'm a better son. And it's all about just being yourself and feeling comfortable with that. Very beautiful. Thank you so much for your time. And I do appreciate your openness, your communication, and knowing that what you did is now changing your lifestyle for the better and what you're doing to create that positive change. It's amazing to see the transition from when you were when you were in the grounds, when you were in the trenches fighting, and now you're overcoming that, and now you're becoming a better father, you're becoming a better hero for others, and you're creating change all around North America. It's insane, right? And I just think it's incredible. It's insane to even be able to interact and be able to, to share positivity in this world. And it was so great to speak with you, Mr. Sugro. It was, it was a pleasure, pleasure speaking with you. It was my honor. Thank you. 